Amen. Please be seated. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn with me this morning to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 8. This morning we will be looking at the first 19 verses of this chapter. You can also find your text in the insert inside of your bulletin along with a brief outline of today's passage. This morning we're continuing the um, narrative of Noah and the flood in our series of gospel foundations from Genesis 1 through 11. Last week, if you were with us, we saw the floodwaters burst forth from the ground and fall from the sky as Noah, his family, and the animals on the ark were safely stowed away by the very hand of God. Judgment fell, and those not under God's protection faced death for their sin. And in this morning, um, as we continue in that narrative, we pick up when the rain stops and the water ceases. And we see the undoing or remaking of the world. It is quite difficult to consider such a level of a flood and devastation and what it must have looked like afterward. You know, Lisa and I lived in Mississippi during the time of Hurricane Katrina. I would have been in high school at the time. The home I grew up in uh, was four hours away from the coast, and yet we were without power for 10 days. Um, We faced a lot of storm damage in our home, and it only increased the closer you got to the coast. That was in 05, and to this day, if you go to the Mississippi coast, you can still find slabs uh, where buildings used to be um, and where businesses and homes uh, and neighborhoods and communities are no more. Um, as that uh, storm scarred the land somewhat permanently. And I would believe I'm safe to say that um, as devastating as Hurricane Katrina was, it pales in comparison to the world-shaping and world-forming level that the flood would have been on the earth. It's important that we understand the magnitude of what took place Because by doing so, we come away with a greater sense of just how wonderful God is. That he would preserve a people. That he saved them through such a high level of destruction. That he preserves and promotes life through it all. We will see that in our text this morning. So I do invite you to turn with me again to our text. I'll be reading God's word this morning. Beginning in chapter 8 of Genesis in the first verse. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all of the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain fell from the heavens. The rain from the heavens were restrained and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth the raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. 
So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he set forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. In the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried off of the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the twenty-seventh day of the month, the earth dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all of the flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth, went out by families from the ark. The grass may wither and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. He has promised it will accomplish his purpose for us today. May we now go to him in prayer and ask that he fulfill that promise. Lord, your text for your people today, you have promised that as we read your word, we are reading the very words of God. And so I ask that you open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, that we might receive you today. Nothing less than you and who you are and how you have revealed yourself to us. We need it, Lord. You tell us that your word is a means of grace. It's a means in which we draw closer to you and live rightly in a sinful world. Oh, that we need those things today. So I pray you provide them. They cannot be done unless you do so. So, oh Lord, grant this request we ask. Through the precious blood of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. The Genesis account, and particularly the story of Noah, has reminded me just how amazing it is that God says in his word, he not only knows us, but he cares for us. My favorite psalms, and one I go to frequently, is the 139th psalm. What a beautiful proclamation and declaration of life, of how God creates life from the womb, from the point of conception. And even before that, we are on the mind and heart of God. We're told that God knows us, that he knows us when we rise, that he knows us when we sit, that there's nowhere we can hide from his presence continually. He is looking over us. Even if we were to fall into the depths of Sheol, his presence, even then, would still find us. There is nowhere we can go and escape the presence of God. In light of such great acts as the world-changing power of the flood, it can be overwhelming to think that God that can create and orchestrate and ordain that level of destruction and cleansing and judgment knows us intimately to the point that he can label the hairs on our head, that genetically he could tell us which chromosomes are coming together, which sections, which characteristics came from father, which characteristics came from mother, which came from our grandparents. 
That's the, the level to which God knows us. He knows us on a molecular level, and yet he also orchestrates, ordains, and upholds the entirety of the world. That's what's on display in the story of the flood, and, and we should keep those two in context, and, and we should keep the tension between them appropriately um, in place. We see it in the life of Noah and in the animals, because God protected them. He protected them and encouraged them to populate the earth. And we'll see that process starting here in our text. We'll see that God not only restores the world that he made to make it habitable, but he also sends out Noah and his family to fulfill the creation mandate, to have dominion, to conquer, to rule, and to reign. And we'll see three actions this morning that show this. Three actions by God. First, we're going to see that God always remembers his people. We find this in the first five verses of our text. Secondly, God renews our hope in him through trials. Verses 6 through 12. And then finally, God remakes the world to promote life. In verses 13 to 19, to put it differently, God provides that which is needed for life. With that in mind, let us turn to the beginning of our passage and see how God remembers his people. He always remembers his people. And it's an interesting statement that this passage begins with, but God remembered Noah, all the beasts and the livestock that were with him on the ark, or in the ark, excuse me. If you go back to the end of chapter 7, we're told that the waters prevailed upon the earth for 150 days. And I will admit the math is a little bit complicated to follow this morning, but I believe it's helpful in giving us an accurate historical account of what took place. We conclude from what is told to us in chapter 7 and what is told to us here in chapter 8. It was around 371 days that the flood was upon the earth. And so about halfway through that time period, around 150 days, God remembers Noah. Now this would seem to pose a problem. Does that mean God forgot them? Did God start the flood, take a nap, wake up and realize he didn't turn the water off? Did he think Noah was safe and so he didn't have to worry and send his focus somewhere else? The answer must be no. The 139th Psalm says we cannot escape the presence of God. There is nowhere that we can go that he is not with us. You could see a very similar um, prayer from Jonah. Jonah, while he is in the belly of the fish, while he's brought low, um, speaking to uh, what Christ would face. In his death, for three days in the belly of a fish, really at the lowest point of his life, Jonah says these words, I called out to the Lord, out of my distress, he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah, with all of his attempt, with all of his effort to escape God down to the bottom of the ocean in the belly of a fish, three days in, in darkness and in muck, trying to get as far from God as possible, and yet when he calls out, God says, here I am. And so we cannot and we must not say that God forgot Noah. So what do we mean? How do we interpret this? 
Well, to remember, as it's um, stated biblically, especially in the Old Testament, it's used around 70 times. And it's common for God to remember his people. And usually when this is done linguistically, we could replace the word remember with think about. It would make more sense in our English language to say think about, um, although that is a little bit low language to refer to how God considers us. But what this really is and, and what this means, it's a focusing of God's will toward a particular person or group of people at a particular time. It's, it's an intentional time in time where God is focusing upon a person or a group of people. And, and this is important, when God remembers someone, it's always accompanied by action. So God doesn't do what we're prone to do where we tell someone, I've been thinking about you this week and how you've been stuck at home, I hope you're well, when we should go, hey, let me come get you. I've been thinking about you and your need, let me fulfill that need. No, when, when God remembers or when God thinks about, he always follows that with action. And we see that um, throughout the Old Testament. We see this in God saving Lot through remembering Abraham. He remembered his promise to Abraham and brought Lot and his wife out of Sodom, Genesis 19, 29. We see this in God giving Rachel children. He remembers her and her barrenness, Genesis 30, 22. We also could go to God bringing Israel out of slavery by remembering his covenant. I saw their affliction. I saw what stress they were under, and I remembered them, Exodus 2, 24 and following. So this moment in our text then is a focusing upon Noah and those within the ark with an intent toward action. And it's important, even as we say all of that, to remember the focus really is on God. God is really, when he, it says God remembers these people, what he's really saying is God remembers himself. God remembered the promise he made toward Abraham. God remembered the promise toward Rachel. God remembered his people. It's always God remembering these people, but really God remembering himself and his promise to them. And so what God is saying is, I will keep my word. I will keep my promise. And we see that in our text. God made a wind to blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were closed. The rains from the heavens were restrained. The waters receded from the earth continually. God uses a wind, which any time in Scripture you see the word wind, you should know uh, that panuma can always be or also be translated spirit. The spirit of God blew upon the earth. The spirit of God went forth and receded the waters. And what does that remind us of? The creation account itself. And so what we're seeing here, when God remembers Noah and all those on the ark, God acts with his spirit to start reforming, remaking, recreating, so that those in the ark could get outside of the ark. And this is a mercy by God. God promised to protect Noah and the animals. He never promised that they could get off the ark. He never promised them a world like the one that they left. And yet we see God providing that here. 
we see God giving them what they will need for life. But we should note it wasn't immediate. We read in the rest of this section it took some time. The end of the 150 days that the waters had abated, the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the top of the mountains were seen. So for those of you tracking the numbers, we've got another 74 days after the 150 days. We get this by 13 days left in the 7th month, 30 days for month 8 and month 9 each, and then the first day of the 10th month, getting us 74 days. So we're progressing By the way, another mercy by God, numerical, historical, factual evidence of what took place, details that you could only get by being there, God's mercy. And yet, what were they doing this whole time? How were they responding? They were responding by faith. They're in a boat. They're in a boat without a window. They're in a boat without a window, not knowing. God never told them when they're going to get to come out. So let's think about that. Let's think about how God uses trials in our life to renew our hope in Him and increase our faith. God's grace and mercy have been on full display throughout this section, and it's easy for us to see that. But put yourself in the moment. Think about what would have been going on in the lives of those on the ark. Think about what's already happened. God brought animals to Noah. God closed the door himself. God kept them alive during their time on the ark. And now God receives the waters and lands them safely on a mountain. You cannot read this account and come away with how awesome is Noah. No. How awesome is the God that cares for Noah? And we have to be very careful when we try to translate this to our lives. We cannot and we must not treat God as a divine slot machine that is simply going to give us what we want without us doing anything. That's not what we see in our text. In this section, Noah has a job. He has a task. Namely, live. Live. You, your family, and all those on the ark, you're to live. But also, he endured various trials, the chief of which, time. Endure. Not only live, but live for an indefinite period of time. But then, after a set time comes, he is to test the waters. And we see this. We see this by the sending out of birds. Verses 6 and 7. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he made and sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the ark. Noah sends forth a raven. This unclean animal did not return evidence of land to Noah. So we try something different. Well, the unclean bird didn't tell me anything. How about a clean bird? So then he sent forth a dove to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark. For the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. This time a clean bird sent forth. However, the waters have not yet receded, so the bird returns to Noah. And a third time, he waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. 
And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So no one knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Olive leaves or olive branches will be used um, during this time um, as signs of peace, as signs of God's presence, um, sometimes to represent the Holy Spirit itself, as do doves. And so we find at, at this third time, God's presence is revealed. His plan is revealed. And then a fourth time and a final time, Noah sends out the dove, and he waits another seven days, and then it does not return to him anymore. Now I want us to think about this as a season of testing. God had spoken directly to Noah up to this point. When God wanted Noah to act, he told him what to do. He called him out from the people. He gave him the instructions to build the ark. He brought the animals to him. He told them when to enter the ark. And then he shut the door behind them. But here, he does not get an all clear. He does not get an everything's okay. He does not hear the voice of God in this moment. And so we might be tempted to say that God did not tell Noah when to come out. That would be true if God did not care for and ordain the lives and habits of the very birds that Noah was using. Noah sends out birds according to God's divine plan, which revealed to Noah that the world had indeed become inhabitable again. What would cause a bird to want to light on land? God programming them that way. And so while God did not audibly speak to Noah in this moment, by Noah doing, which was a common practice to use birds to find land during this time, he was using God's divine wisdom in ordinary, everyday things. God was still speaking to him. God uses creation to reveal his divine will. Noah had that much faith in God. That God could even use these animals to grant the knowledge that he needed. This was an important decision. Think about it. If he opened that door and there was still water there, what happens? The ark floods. Could he even open the door? We don't know. He needed to know. Also think about this. He made a hole, a window. Where would that have been? It had been at the top of the boat. He couldn't see the bottom. He had no clue if the water was there or not. It's probably the first, Well, it is the first time he's seen light. He had to create this window for the birds to go out of. First time he's seen light in over 150 days. Trials, they become moments of blessing as they draw us close to our God. Don't you think Noah was close to God after being in a boat for a period of over a year with a hole that only let him look up? James goes so far to say in his letter that trials are what God uses to perfect us and to complete us. He says this, James 1, 2 through 4. Count it joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds, or meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking in nothing. When's the last time you've said to God, thank you for putting this trial in my life? I really needed to be perfect and complete. I really needed to trust you right now, so I'm so glad you've put this difficult season, this moment of intense trusting in you in my life. I know that I don't. Not very often. 
But God uses trials in this way. Through trials, our faith is strengthened and we come to new levels of trust and understanding of God's sovereignty over our lives and of the actions of this world. Now, please don't hear all of this and then go start taming birds to send them out anytime you want to know God's divine will. God did work in this way, and God can still work in this way if he wants to, but I've got an even simpler way for you today than falconry. Read the book right here. God has spoken to us in his word and said, this is what you need for faith and for practice today. And so before you go get a fleece, before you go get a bird, before you try to carve an image or make an idol or cast lots or whatever it may be, go to the book. You've got the answers. God has spoken to us in his word. And even still, when God brings trials in your life, when God brings difficult moments, where do we go? We go to his word. Why? Did Noah know to trust God with the birds? Because God's word says that he created all things and he made them good. He created them for a purpose. And so Noah knew that God made birds for a purpose and that purpose would glorify himself, being God, not Noah. And so we see in the story of Noah that trials are a tool to which God uses to glorify himself and to draw us closer to him. But there's a final blessing. There's something that I don't want us to miss, and it's at the um, latter part of our section. And that's how God remakes, reforms the world to again promote life. Or to put it differently, as we did in the introduction, God provides that which is necessary for his people and his creation to live and to flourish. And... We see something fascinating here. It, it shouldn't be fascinating at this point, but it still is. Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So the 601st year in the first month on the first day, that's how we get our dating, the topmost part of the ground was dry. It would take another month, altogether 371 days, before the world was completely dry again. But what is the remarkable thing here? That Noah obeys. Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you, all of the flesh, the birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. He says, empty the ark. Everything, it's time to get out. That they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Again, drawing us back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, the creation account. Almost exactly the same verbiage. We really could see this as, as almost a recreation. You want to be careful with thinking that way. Um, but it's, it's really, in some ways it is a recreation. A renewal would be a better way to describe what has taken place. So Noah went out. Noah obeyed God. Don't miss this point. So Noah went out. If you can say anything about the life of Noah, every time God speaks, we hear these words at the end. God said to build an ark, 
make it a gopher wood, make it this big, gather animals, put them in the ark. And so Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Here, leave the ark, repopulate the earth, fill it with animals. So Noah went out. He does what God says because he loves his God, because he has faith in him, because through trials, God has provided his character. God has provided and proved himself to be trustworthy. God has demonstrated his love for Noah and for his family again and again and again to the point here, it's, it's getting shorter and shorter. His response, Noah obeyed. I mean, if, if there was another moment where God needed Noah to act, it would just say yes. Because every time God commands, Noah listens. Another thing I don't want you to miss in this text, and this is really beautiful and it's easy to miss, everything of the ark goes out by families. Think about what's on the ark. Put this in perspective here. I wouldn't recommend this, but imagine yourself at the zoo and imagine at a moment's notice something catastrophic happens in Every gate is opened at once. That's what we should see when the art doors open, right? A, a mass cacophony of noise and screaming and panic and confusion and animals eating animals and people running, carrying children, screaming, just every chaos in all directions as order is, is tried to be restored. That's what we would expect from a humanly perspective. But that's not what we get at the ark. Everything in the ark goes out by family. Animals that want to eat other animals on the ark go out by family in order. A great stampede should have happened. And yet God says, no, you're going to do this in an orderly fashion. You're going to do this peacefully. Have you ever watched elementary students try to line up? All you need to do is look to children to realize what our natural nature is like, what our natural tendencies are. And yet God says, you will leave this ark, you will populate this earth, and you will do so now, and they do it. That's the power of the God we serve. And that's a demonstration that God is restoring order to the earth. Again, following the creation mandate, following what he did in the garden, following his plan and his path toward redemption. Furthermore, plants, plants would have regrown, plants that have been underwater that have drowned, regrown to promote life. When the animals leave, they're going to need to eat. They're going to need to sleep. Humans, humans are going to have to have food. And God has provided all of this. We don't even see it in our text, but we know it is so. God sends them out into an earth that they can inhabit. God does not send them into a lifeless existence. God does not send them into a dangerous place that's not habitable. God gives them a habitable world. And by doing so, he reminds them and he reminds us today that he preserves and he promotes life. That he cares for you and for me. What a beautiful sight. Sadly, we will see not only did the plant life and the animal life grow, but also sin continues to grow on the earth. Lord willing, that's what we will be exploring in the weeks to come as they repopulate and replant the earth. But I want you to think about something this morning as we conclude. I want you to consider all the ways that God provided and promoted life during the time of the flood. God was with Noah and his family and the animals every step of the way. 
He remembered them through their time on the ark, and especially at the end of the 150 days, a very poignantly moment where God remembered them. God called Noah to trust in him and to send forth birds to verify that there was land. God moved the birds to find land when it was time to do so. God displays his mercy and provision by sending everyone out into a habitable world full of what was needed to live. Can God still do this today? Can God make order out of chaos? Can he work in people's hearts and lives spiritually, just like he did physically in the time of the flood? He can, and he does. He transforms lives through the washing not of water, but of blood. Through his son, Jesus Christ, who came and died, that we might live And we are called to trust in him by faith. The same message. Noah had to trust in God by faith. He had to have faith to get on that ark. He had to have faith to get off of that ark. He had to have faith every step of the way. We too are called to trust God by faith. We're given the extra blessing that we know that Jesus came. He lived, he died, and he rose again. Just like Noah, with confidence, released the birds because he trusted in God. We too can trust in God because he can and he will save sinners such as you and as me. Glory be to God. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. In your great act of mercy, you have preserved these pieces of history for us. Moments that could only be recorded if if someone was there. Moses wasn't, but you were. You were there. You have been with your people every step of the way from the beginning, even before the beginning, even before there was a beginning. You set out your plan of redemption for your people, and you put it into motion. And we who trust in you by faith are recipients of it today. Oh, that we would trust in you by faith. Oh, that we would understand that you preserve and promote life today and that you are what we need most of all. I ask that you be with us now, that you continue to wash over us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.